Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. Today, we're talking with Dr. Asha Singh, a member of the AASM's Coding and Compliance Committee and Director of the Sleep Medicine Program and Assistant Professor of Neurology at Oregon Health and Science University. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Singh. Thank you, Seema, for inviting me. The Coding and Compliance Committee has been busy working to get the word out about coding changes coming up in 2021. These changes impact the evaluation and management codes we use on a daily basis. This is important information for providers and for their office staff. So let's dive in. What are the reasons for these upcoming changes? So the CMS fee schedule proposed rule came out in 2019 with the intention to collapse the payment levels and have add-on codes for specific specialty services and procedure reductions. The AMA formed an ENM evaluation and management workgroup which is a multi-specialty work group with representation from the RUC, a committee of the AMA to help determine work RBUs and CPT editorial panel. So the main reason to um, restructure this um, ENM codes is to help providers do what they do best, which is manage patients and, and really decrease the amount of other documentation they're they're doing on a daily basis, which doesn't necessarily help out with um, the care of the patient. So th- this sounds like a positive thing. So tell me about some of the big changes that are coming to the ENM code. So I understand we're losing one code. Yeah, um, the main changes are that the history and physical are is still going to be performed and documented, but. Um, the history and physical and other parts of documentation that we were doing previously, like the review of systems, are not going to be used for code selection. So the main focus is on the medical decision making um, instead of um, documenting bullet points like we were doing in the past. Oh, so maybe these notes will be more usable and readable. (laughs) That's probably a good thing. So let's talk a little bit about medical decision making. So how is this going to become more important and a more important part of our billing codes? Medical decision making is defined by establishing a diagnosis, assessing the status of a condition, and selecting a management option. So it's one of the options for code selection in 2021. And the other option is is time selection. So like I said, previously we had been documenting points in the history and review of systems and physical examination, but moving forward, the MDM is going to be what is most relevant for code selection. So you mentioned coding by time. Is that changing as well? Coding by time will change um, somewhat. Um, it will, um, there will be new uh, time limits for each diagnosis. And um, the times look actually slightly longer, but for the most part, it will stay similar to what providers are used to uh, coding from uh, last year. Oh, good. So I wonder if you can walk me through some of these coding changes. So for example, did, um, did this impact the work RVUs? And then what about the reimbursement for for those of us who aren't on an RVU system? Yes. So for um, the RVUs, um, the 
to give you an example, for a 99203, the 2020 physician work RVU would have been 1.42. And then in 2021, the physician work RVU actually goes up to 1.6 RVU. And then another example would be 99214. The RVU was 1.5 and it would be going up to 1.92. So overall, especially for those physicians that are compensated based on RVUs, this is probably a good thing, especially in the beginning um, when this will be implemented. Probably long term, um, you know, since the compensation is probably tied to the work RVUs long term, and there is not going to be um, payment that is going to be increasing um, with the RVUs, they will not be sustained in terms of increased um, increased uh, payments. So, um, so tell me, what counts as time? Is this only face to face time, or is there something else that we can we can include in that? Right. So, starting in twenty twenty one, you can actually include non face to face time on the same day of service, which is um, midnight to midnight on the day of the encounter. And this um, time is um, defined as the time spent reviewing medical records, um, the time spent independently interpreting a test result, um, also the time spent um, during face-to-face, during the exam, and counseling the patient and caregiver, also any time spent um, documenting in the EHR. And finally, any time you spend communicating with other healthcare professionals. So previously, we didn't have the option to count this extra time that we may have been using um, before the visit, pre-charting or after charting. So um, this is a really a benefit to most providers that we can add this in to um, our visits. And the other benefit is that the total time doesn't need to be um, consecutive. It can actually be accumulative um, throughout that same day of the encounter. So it just has to be that the day of the encounter then. Exactly. So this is kind of great. So the time that we all spend dictating our notes and going through charts and all of that stuff when after the kids have gone to bed, that will actually be reimbursable now? Yes, exactly. So all the time you're spending at the end of the day, you don't have to be, um, you know, as worked up about it. It's counting towards your um, your billing and coding right now. Oh, so this is really helpful information. So we're going to take a quick break, but I'd like to ask you about some specific office visits and how they should be recorded. You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. 2020 has taught us a lot about the value of togetherness, and the AASM is here to support you throughout your sleep medicine career. From advocacy to education, we offer tools and resources you need to thrive, especially now in this challenging time. Join or renew your AASM membership before December 31st, and you'll have a chance to win some great prizes. Learn more at aasm.org membership. Welcome back to Talking Sleep. 
We're talking about important changes coming to E&M codes in 2021 with Dr. Asha Singh of the AASM's Coding and Compliance Committee. So, Dr. Singh, I watched the webinar that your committee made for our membership, and I really appreciated the examples that they provided. So, of course, since I've watched it now in my head, as I see my patients, I'm trying to figure out what I should, how I should code them. So I'd really like to pick your brain about some of the patients I've seen recently. Would it be okay if we ran through some patients? Of course. So what about the stable CPAP patient? So the 15-minute visit, no complications, they're doing well. Um, We talked about COVID aerosolization and hand washing. um, And we talked about some of the data on sleep and immunity. I was probably, I probably spent about 15 minutes with this patient. How would I code that? Yeah, assuming this patient was a follow-up patient, they would be coded as a 99212. And the reason for this, there was minimal complexity looking at the MDM table. There was one self-limited problem. And in terms of the risk, there is minimal risk. So pretty straightforward patient. Okay, good. So let's say the same patient then developed insomnia and wanted a script for a sleep aid because he's, he's worried about an upcoming project at work. Would that change my coding? Yeah, again, it's very helpful to look at the MDM table um, that the AMA has um, sent out. And the number and complexity of problems addressed in this case moves from minimal to low complexity, from one problem to two problems being addressed that um, with the added insomnia. And now you have two or more self-limited um, problems like um, uh, they state in their table. Um, so adding a prescription medication and depending on the type of medication could qualify for a higher level of risk. But um, but like we talked about earlier, so if with adequate documentation with um, uh, the risk of counseling of side effects or um, or in the setting of other past medical histories, such as if they had any kind of arrhythmia, you could possibly even bump it up to even a higher level. But um, but at the but if the patient just is coming in with really the two self-limited problems with adding just a medication for their insomnia, you would basically have a level uh, 99203. Okay, good. So let's say I have another patient who has narcolepsy and this is a, a return visit and she needs her yearly urine drug screen and EKG. She needs her meds refilled. Um, but because of COVID now, she's kind of had this delayed sleep phase um, tendency now. So I spent about a half hour with her. So we reviewed her meds. Um, she's doing fine. We reviewed her narcolepsy, but then we talked about delayed sleep phase. What level would I bill? Yeah, so this is a little bit um, more of a challenging kind of billing question. Like if you went to a um, your coder at your um, local hospital system, they could um, would probably say it could be billed in different ways depending on how much you're documenting in terms of risk, um, especially with um, risk of medications. So one simple way to think about it is that you spent 30 minutes of time and um, saying it's a follow-up visit that would um, be uh, qualified for 99214. Um, 
On the flip side, if you're looking at the medical decision aspect, um, you could state that the patient has two stable sleep disorders, um, the narcolepsy, and uh, sorry, you said that the delayed sleep phase is actually a new sleep disorder. A new one, yeah. Yeah, so it's a new sleep disorder. Um, And um, and so um, and it depends on, you know, if how you are really treating that delayed sleep sleep uh, phase disorder. Are you, you know, starting a medication for it? Are you, um, maybe talking about how, if you are, maybe, are you, um, maybe you would be counseling how that medication would interact with, um, uh, medication for the existing, um, narcolepsy. Um, also perhaps the patient is, um, uh, already being treated with sodium oxabate or a stimulant, which have a higher level of risk. So with that higher level of risk, you are probably being are uh, thinking about billing a 99213 or 99214. So looking at that table um, with the, the risk is really what is elevating you to that higher level. But um, your time is already putting you at that 99214. So um, and then it's important to just understand you, you don't need both. You don't need to have um, uh, fill the criteria of risk plus time. It's either or. Oh, that's a really good point. So I was thinking about this um, level of risk. Um, So let's say I had a patient who has sleep apnea, he's trialed and failed CPAP and would like to have hypoglossal nerve stimulation. And so I talked to him about the risks and benefits and, and that sort of thing. How would I bill that? Right. So now you're talking about a patient who has one or more uh, chronic illness with exacerbation. So that looking at the table that places him at a moderate um, complexity and um, he has some um, progression or basically his um, he's not tolerating his current therapy. And then the risk level is going to, going to be at at least a moderate level because your therapy for him is a surgical device that is um, does have some some risk to it with anesthesia and other compli- potential complications. So so because of those two um, aspects, you would be able to code a nine nine two one four, and um, and so 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 those are the factors that kind of go into this coding, and it's really pretty easy when you're looking at this table to come up with that uh, coding. Yeah, you're right. As, as you've run through these samples, these examples, you do you do make it a lot easier for me to understand. So I appreciate that. I, I was looking at that code 99211. So does that mean that as long as the physician is present, you could bill for mask fitting performed by a sleep tech? Yes, this is correct. If the physician is in, uh, in the building, you can um, bill for the mask fitting. Okay. So I guess I have to try to figure out, and I suppose it's per patient, um, how I decide whether I want to code for time or via medical decision-making. Um, and, and I think the thing that threw me the most was when we talk about that high risk of morbidity from testing or treatment. And, and then how do we look at that through a sleep medicine lens? I mean, we're not routinely sending our patients to the ER, right? We're not routinely calling ahead to the ER physician, and, and we're not doing that level of service. So um, is this, are we then relegated to never billing a level five? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, 
in sleep medicine, it's going to be really rare to get to that level five based on medical decision making. Um, some of us may be practicing neurologists and may have that occasional or, or pulmonologists um, or a different specialty where we may see um, a disorder come in with another, a sleep disorder come in with another complaint, um, such as, say, a sleep patient with hypertensive emergency and may need to send a patient to the ER. And in that case, you could um, bill at that level five. Um, and you you get that level five as you look at that MDM table and they get to that high risk of morbidity um, um, because uh, you are making a decision regarding hospitalization or um, emergency. So, um, but besides that, I think what's going to be most common in our practice and our outpatient practices is going to be um, billing for that higher level based on time. So for established patients, um, uh, 99215 would be billed based on seeing a patient for anywhere from 40 to 54 minutes and new patients from 60 to 74 minutes. So what about RBD with a history of injury? I have a guy that um, threw himself out of a window. Does that count as severe risk of injury? Yeah, that is a good example of a patient with um, higher risk. And you could probably argue, depending on how you're documenting and how you're describing um, those symptoms and risk and, and, and really like what, what are you really doing about that? So, so that would be, um, coded as a 99214, um, level or higher. So how, what is your next step though? You're not sending the patient probably to the ED unless they come to you and there's some like maybe laceration and you're, you're sending them to the ER, but oh my probably, gosh, I hope not. Safe, <laughs> but probably more like safety precautions and maybe pharmacological management, maybe advising them to, you know, um, sleep in separate bedrooms and things like that from their bed partner. So, um, but, but yes, those are, that is one good example, um, that you bring up within, within our, um, RBD patient. Another example could be like, um, for example, and I have patients in my practice with who have atrial fibrillation. They're, um, they may have had like VTAC on their um, sleep study the night before and they're uh, going to pursue um, an ablation or their cardiologist is going to pursue an ablation in a couple of um, days. So basically those patients with a very high cardiovascular um, morbidity. Um, so um, really, um, these are the patients with the kind of higher risk, but you know, they're really not as common as our, our regular um, uh, sleep apnea patients that we see day to day. But you know what, that's such a good point. Because, you know, we know the data shows that uh, patients who have AFib and sleep apnea, and then they have their ablation, that they're more likely to remain in sinus rhythm if we treat their sleep apnea. And so I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. But that's a really good example. Right. And, and, and like I said before, it's very important to document why you, you feel like they're at elevated risk um, in your assessment and plan. And I think this new coding system gives us that opportunity. So instead of um, taking our time up and having to document maybe parts of the physical exam that weren't as necessary, we have that extra time to 
document why we think um, it's their treatment should be expedited with um, positive airway pressure or by getting an expedited sleep study or expedite their treatment um, otherwise um, in our um, assessment and plan section because of their um, cardiovascular disease. Um, and we can um, explain that in our assessment and plan, and that will inform um, if, if we happen to get audited, hopefully not, but, um, <laughs> but, but that will um, uh, help describe why those patients are at elevated risk. You know, I'm kind of hoping that this um, allows the note to be what it was supposed to be for in the first place, right? A note to communicate with our colleagues and for us to refresh our, our memories rather than a note generated for the purpose of billing. And so maybe maybe this is one way of, of helping with that. Yeah, I think so. I think it's back to, you know, how things were, you know, probably 30 years ago when physicians used to describe in their note what was most relevant and not for, you know, a coding um, and compliance kind of a reason. But um, it's important to remember, you probably do still want, even though it's not necessary and required to um, document all points of the physical exam and history um, for to get credit and to get for billing and coding reasons, it's still um, good to um, right. a, to de uh, describe um, your history and physical exam like you were in the past because you know you want to remember what was in um, your uh, note. Um, you see a lot of patients during the day. Another provider might be looking at your notes. Um, so it's and it's it's a good habit to keep in, um, even though it's not um, uh, required at this point. Right. And I, I would totally agree. And, and plus, right, if you listen to somebody, it's really important to know whether that murmur is new or old, you know, if the AFib is new or old. So, I mean, there's a lot of value in the note, which I think I think we've kind of lost some of that value because we're so busy trying to check all these boxes. So I'm I'm really optimistic that maybe this will allow us to get to get back to that. So are there any other codes that you think we should be aware of? Um. I think with COVID, um, that we have been going through a lot of challenges, but we have discovered that um, you know we can do a lot of things through telemedicine, and so these new telemedicine codes have been helpful. And I think the in the future we'll be um, aware of some new codes coming out in the next couple of years, um, mostly telehealth kinds of codes that will allow us even more to bill for things that we're already doing. For instance, um, uh, for PAP downloads, um, for, uh, for my chart messages, for communication that we are um, uh, doing with our patients through telephone or otherwise. Um, even though as of this minute, we, we haven't um, ironed all of those things out completely. I think um, we should all be optimistic that I think those things are coming down the pipeline. Is there anything else that you'd like our sleep medicine colleagues to know? Are there any resources available that you might recommend for our membership? So I'd like our colleagues to basically know that this uh, change can be scary. But in uh, this case, with the E&M codes, uh, I think we should embrace this particular change because it's to our benefit. Um, we are given being given the option of using medical decision making, which is something that we're already doing 
and incorporating uh, the time that we are already spending um, charting in our notes in order to um, bill for time is going to be something that is very helpful to us and not hurt harmful. Um, I would also like them to know that our coding and compliance committee is working very hard in order to understand um, new codes that we can use um, for the future. Oh, thank you so much for joining us to provide us some behind the scenes content for these code changes. I know this discussion will be really valuable to our ASM membership. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at aasm.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Seema Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well.